Our towns are the heart of America. Some say they're gone, moved on, or simply faded away. But there's a new American town on the map. It's a town with a big heart and an even bigger ambition. A town where modern progress meets rich history, where the arts meet innovation, and where companies meet community. A town that you can explore with all of your senses, from the fresh air in the Ozarks to the fresh cuisine on your plate. That town is Bentonville, Arkansas. A town to visit, to see, to breathe, and to discover. Visit Bentonville, a new American town. It's a beautiful day here in Bentonville, Arkansas. We're coming to you from Haxton Road Studios. We have so many cool things that happen here in Bentonville every year. And one of those super cool things that happens is the Bentonville Film Festival. It's coming up May 7th, and I can't wait for it. But we're in for a special treat today because in the studio with us is Luis Porrieto, a filmmaker um, and one of the featured filmmakers and alumni from the Bentonville Film Festival. And his movie just was shown as part of the BFF Monday Night Movie in conjunction with Visit Bentonville and Skylight. Welcome, Luis. Good morning. Welcome. So I think I want to start with a little about you. Where are you originally from? I'm from Madrid, from Spain. From Spain. Yeah. And you're in the United States now making film or both? I live in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, and I'm making films, I will say, everywhere. Uh, in the sense <laughs> that the last project I was shooting a documentary in uh, Central America before I had been working in the U.S., Spain, Italy, the U.K. So you go where the story is. You go where the story is. Um, can you tell me a little about the film that's going to be shown or that sh was shown at the um, Bentonville Film Festival Monday Night Movie? Um, the This United States of America is a documentary that I did uh, in the months prior to the election, the, the last elections in the U.S. The presidential The presidential elections, election, okay. sorry, the presidential elections. And basically we started shooting, uh, we started right uh, at the Republican convention, then we went to the Democratic convention convention. And as we were filming, we wanted to make a film about the American elections, but we were really interested in making a film about the people, not so much about the politicians. Both candidates were getting a lot of attention already from the media, but um, we felt that the people, you know, the, the actual voters, um, it wasn't something that they were spot, uh, something that you would find out about then in, in your traditional media. So the documentary was that the, it came out from... Um, it was a, com a work uh, that originated in Italy, actually. Sky, uh, the TV station, wanted to make a documentary about the presidential elections in the U.S., and they wanted to find out who were the voters. Um, it was a historical moment uh, for the United States because you have two candidates very different. One of them, it was a woman, so if she would have won, it would have been the first woman president in the United States. And the second candidate, it was someone very unusual outside of the political system. So... Either way, it was something very, very interesting and unique. Uh, so basically, we embark in this uh, documentary where we start following supporters from every um, every spectrum of the political panorama. We started obviously we did uh, we follow some Hillary Clinton supporters, some uh, Donald Trump supporters, uh, you know, even independents, Bernie. Uh, everything, um, non-supporters, that is, regular people who didn't have an interest in politics. And in some cases, we, we 
tried to follow, obviously, the hard course support. So we wanted to find out what was in their minds. We focused mainly in uh, swing states, because those were the states where we were going to decide in what direction was going to be um, decided the, the election. And it just became very interesting because we sort of embedded ourselves in their lives. Uh, the documentary doesn't have any interviews whatsoever. It's more, it looks like a feature film, a narrative film, uh, in the sense that we just record the daily lives, uh, daily lives, uh, obviously making sense out of them. So it's not, uh, it's not like a reality show. It's not that either. It's more like literally, as I was saying, a narrative film. And you get to see how these people, who these people are. So it, for me, that even though I have been living in the United States for a long time, um, I have always lived in, in the West Coast, or I knew you know big cities uh, like New York and the East Coast or Boston, Chicago. Uh, what it was very interesting is because we were following uh, people who live, um, you know, they, they, they weren't in the coast. You know, it was more like uh, in the center of the United States. And obviously, you mm -hmm. guys are in the center of the United States right. for that matter. Um, but we were looking for communities that they're usually not represented in the media. So it was very eye-opening to find out how these people live, uh, what was their um, routines every day, what is what they believe, how did they felt about the war, how did they felt about the United States, about the candidates. So it was very fascinating um, because it was basically an eye-opener. How do you go about finding those people in the middle of the United States, in those places like Bentonville? How do you go about finding finding them for your documentary? Yeah, it was a very organic um, process in the sense that we started it with the, Repu uh, the Republican Convention. There we met a lot of, obviously, hardcore followers of the Republican Party. We chose those that we felt that they were more authentic in the sense that they... And by authentic, I mean that they were real people. They weren't politicians. They weren't uh, um, players mm -hmm. of this game. Let's call it that way, the election. But rather, they were just regular people who were supporting their candidate. Uh, we got tons of um, phone numbers, contacts, uh, people that we actually met. And then we started to slowly, and we did the same at the Democratic uh, Convention. Uh, slowly we started to put together a list of people that we thought they were interested, be interesting because of their personality, um, their background, their involvement, politically uh, involvement. And uh, we sort of weed out those you know, tons of contacts that we got uh, narrowed it down to 12 families. So we ended up following actually 12 families um, around the, the states. And by 12 families, I mean like uh, literally a family. So it wouldn't be just one individual. It would be this individual with his uh, close relatives or his co-workers or whoever they were around that person because he's, that person was defined not only by himself or herself, but also the people who were around right. his, uh, him or her. Um, in the process of making this, obviously, we didn't know who was going to win the elections. Uh, uh, it was very confusing, obviously, <laughs> for everyone. At some point, yes. it felt like someone was going to win, and then it was the other one. So we had to carry on uh, following all these people without knowing who was going to be the protagonist of the film, like what was going to be the take uh, of the film, who were the winners, who were the losers. And obviously, we, we kept filming for um, almost four months, leading to the... Uh, 8th of November, that it was the, the night of the elections. And at that point, the night of the election, we have five different crews and different places in the United States um, following those five families that we felt that they were the most significant ones, that they were going to, to be the ones making it into the documentary. At that point, we have 
kind of figure out who were pretty much our protagonists, even though we mm-hmm. didn't know who was going to, to win, so we didn't know who was going to be the take. Um, and that was pretty much it, basically, you know, just slowly but surely, and then, you know, just discovering that some people that you thought they were very interesting, they were not, but yet the brother or the friend of that person was actually really interesting, and you just branch off uh, in that direction. So, Yeah, I think that would be really, really interesting, and you've got to be really mobile and collaborative to be able to to go, oh, this is a person we thought was going to be really interesting, but actually it's this person that works best for the film. Yeah. Um, I, I had a great team uh, from the producers to the editors, uh, obviously the, the camera uh, men and women. Um, they were fantastic, and that mobility was there. We were we had a great spirit, all of us. We were in, uh, you know, we really enjoyed what we did, uh, meeting all these people. I have to say that um, everyone that we follow, we felt that they were nice people in the sense that, okay, we felt that maybe some people were right, maybe some people were wrong. And when you watch the film, it becomes pretty obvious. But those who were, quote unquote, our protagonists, they were just normal people with their beliefs. And we didn't try to agree or disagree with them. We just tried to see their human side and understand where they're coming from and sort of showed that to the world. And I want to see this because I feel like in politics, in my opinion, after this experience, most of the time, um, the people behind the candidates, they tend to be normal people that sometimes are very manip- they're manipulated for one reason or another. And I think that comes across in the documentary in the sense that um, people act out of fear or sometimes ignorance, mm-hmm. obviously also out of beliefs. Uh, but most of the time you realize that when you talk to, to, this, to some of the people, you thought like, oh my goodness, uh, whatever say you are, you feel like they are the enemies, you know, Mm -hmm. you realize that they're just like you. Yeah. Uh, They're just, they they have different beliefs. So, um, you know, just talking uh, with these people and that's what we tried to do with the film. We didn't try to, to give our opinion, to change anyone's minds. We just tried to see what they were about. And, uh, and that was really an eye opener. And of course, you know, there are, you know, we all know about it. There are people that are, yes, they're not right (laughs) (laughs) out there. But the film is not about those people um, in a way, I will say. You know, we just try to see, you know, try to understand who are these people and then let the audience to to make up their mind about what what they just saw. Yeah, it's about experiencing people and just talking. How how interesting is that to have that in a documentary, especially in a time when our country became so divided? Yeah, that definitely came in the documentary and uh, there are some moments that are pretty shocking. Um, and yeah, we're like, wow, you know, and, and again, you know, like we're just showing this is, you know, we're just discovering this for ourselves and we're not making any judgments or we try not to make that many judgments and just sort of show that to the audience so the audience can make uh, their minds about what they're seeing, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little about you. Um, what or who inspired you to become a filmmaker? Um, well, I was doing, uh, I started doing photography when I was quite young, so I had a fascination for the image, mm-hmm. telling stories uh, through images, and at the same time I was also um, I was a member of this cine club where every week um, they would show two movies, and I was 12, so let's say I was pretty young, <laughs> and these two movies, they weren't just the movies that you could see on TV, they were like weird movies, movies that they would come straight from festivals, uh, but very... Um, sometimes um, not the mainstream festivals, I would mm-hmm. say. So really, really, movies that they were completely, you weren't going to find on TV or in the commercial cinemas. Right. So that was very fascinating to discover so early at that uh, age. 
And slowly but surely, you just discover a world that you couldn't imagine, that is challenging every time you see a movie, that movie is challenging you in so many ways, um, just to find out what sometimes what the movie is about, for example. Yeah. Or how the movie is told. And eventually, I just found myself um, just doing it, in the sense that I tried to do other things. Um, I tried to study economy, it just didn't work out. <laughs> and at the end, I realized, you know what, this is the only thing I can do, so I'm just going to do it and try to do it as best as I can. Yeah, there has to be a love, I think, and and that definitely shows in your films. How how wonderful is that? What's the earliest film that you remember creating? Uh, <clears throat> well, when I was a teenager, um, I was making horror movies in Super 8. That was the first thing that I was doing. Obviously, it was like, instead of playing football or doing something else, I was just running with my friends around, just shooting Super 8 movies. Uh-huh. And because of the age, I think that's what we were doing uh, horror. That felt like the right thing to do at that time. <laughs> um, but obviously, that was way before I even thought uh, of working on film. Mm-hmm. So... Really, my first um, film piece, my film work, um, it was actually a short film that I did in Spain, in Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, called Bamboleo. And um, what it was so special about this film is that um, it's a short film. I didn't expect that much of it, even though I have done already film school in the United States. At that point, I just wanted to make a film about this story that I had in mind, uh, that it was about the kids, street kids that they were living in Barcelona, that they were actually living in the rooftops of the city, as opposed to living in the, under the bridges, or used to uh-huh. be once upon a time in the world, anywhere in any city. These kids were living in the rooftops. And uh, it was a very rewarding experience, and uh, the film eventually started doing the festival circuit, and it was um, the winner of um, many prizes, including uh, the best short film at the first Tribeca Film Festival. Wow. Yeah, I ended up doing like something like 50 international prizes. So that was like, okay, maybe I should do this. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have to listen to the universe when it's telling you things. <laughs> yeah, kind of work out that way. <laughs> um, so as a participant with the Bentonville Film Festival, um, can you tell me a little how the Bentonville Film Festival is different from other festivals that you've participated with? Well, um I wasn't able to attend last year because I was in Spain working, but my producers, um, Jesse and Josh, they came to the festival and they only had great words about the festival. Um, I cannot compare with other festivals because I wasn't here myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything they said about it, it was, it was fabulous. It was marvelous. The amount of people is so cool. You know, everyone, the care, there was the films, there was the filmmakers, the interest. Of, of the spectators, you know, the organizers, they just felt so welcome um, that it just felt like, okay, I didn't know this festival because the truth, I, I didn't know. It was right. a long time since I had been in film festival with my short films. So it was like, okay, I need to put it in the map, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it sounded like a fantastic festival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So I missed sure. out. But well, I'm you missed to, out. I'm happy to be here now, but sometimes it happens. You can't make it to every festival. Oh, I, I'm sure. I can't imagine. And then you have to work as well. So yeah, that happens. <laughs> or fortunately, I was shooting a film, actually, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're getting to shoot a film, then that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. So, Luis, can you tell me a little... We've talked a bit about... Um, the disunited United mm-hmm. States, disunited States of America, um, and a little about your first short film. Can you mm-hmm. tell me about some of the other work and some of the things that that you have done that you're like 
this is really cool. And this turned out exactly as I wanted, or this did not mm-hmm. turn out what I thought it was going to be. Well, I will say um, the coolest thing that I have done so far, uh, starting backwards, so basically my what I want to talk is about my last film. I have been doing some TV work too, but the last film that I did uh, here in the U.S., um, it was uh, started Halle Berry, and it was called Kidnap, and it's basically a chase movie. Uh-huh. Um, so it's very different from the documentary. <laughs> it's a thriller. It's an action thriller. And you have uh, Halle Berry. And I had Halle Berry, who was a fantastic person and a fantastic actress. Like everyone, everyone knows a fantastic actress. Mm-hmm. Actress, uh, I should say, is also a fantastic person, an incredible person, human being. And what it was also so special about the film, it was the fact that we cho- we shot this film like films were shot in the seventies or in the sixties. Uh, and I'm saying those periods because there were uh, many. Uh, car chase movies made those those days and what do I mean by shot like there, it was done before well we did it without any green screens or special effects um, 90 I want to say 95% of everything that we shot it was done for real so cars were actually racing in freeways cars were crashing in freeways the actors in this case Halle Berry was inside of the car every time you saw her driving the car Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and that is uh, the, the only time we use uh, special effects green screens because at some point in the movie, the, the bad guys are going to... It's a kid that movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to throw this kid out of a car, and that felt like, okay, even in safety, we cannot just put a kid <laughs> <laughs> on that race. That sounds like a bad plan. <laughs> that would, yeah. So that was the only thing that we showed with a green screen, so it was completely safe. But everything else, we showed it for real. And, of course, it was still safe, but we had... Right. Halle inside of the car, driving as a crazy mother trying to get back her son. Obviously, she wasn't doing the driving. There was someone on top of the roof of her car doing the actual driving, but she was inside of the car. So um, shooting a film like that, it was a lot of fun. It was a um, great experience. And it's something that you don't get to do these days that much, in the sense that a film like that, the normal way to do it today is in a studio, having a martini with air conditioning, you know, green screen, someone shakes the car, like, great, that was great, you know. Um, so it was great to do it the old way because I think you can actually, you can tell, you know, the intensity of, of the film. Okay, something you just said that I would love for you to explain a little bit more because I am not a filmmaker and I've never been even on set. So... um you said that Halle Berry was in the car, but someone was on top of the car driving it? Yeah. So what happened? <laughs> How okay. does that work? It sounds crazy, and it is crazy. <laughs> no, um, it's a car chase movie, so we spend a lot of time inside of the car with Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's driving, so she's with the steering wheel, that's what I mean. She's driving, she, she's in the pilot seat. So there is no place to put the you know, either one, she does the driving, where it would be a really bad idea, even if she's a good driver, because she's also <laughs> acting. So, like, you can't do that. That would be too dangerous. Uh, plus, you need to have a professional driver doing right. that. You know, not just a professional driver, a stand driver. So what you do is that you just get a car, and in this case, we have five cars, not just one car, and you modify. So you actually, you set up on the roof of the car, you set up uh, another pilot station, quote-unquote, <laughs> Uh, kind of like if it was like a go-kart on top of your car. Oh, okay. So basically there is going to be someone there wearing a helmet, obviously, but it's just sitting down on, literally on top of the car. In a, you know, it's, you put a chair, obviously, and all those things. He has a steering wheel, he has the pedals, and he's actually the one controlling the car, the guy in the rooftop. So Hal is inside pretending that she's driving, but the guy who's doing really the work is on, is on the rooftop of the car. 
uh, as you're filming, you don't see that person. It looks right. like she's doing all the driving. If you are outside of the car, you see like a weird car where there is someone on top <laughs> with a helmet driving. <laughs> kind of like my driver's ed teacher was when I was in high school. <laughs> Only it, he was probably needed a helmet. He was next door. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, they're incredible drivers. You think about it, the kind of things that they can do always in safety, you know, but it's like, wow, like. They're good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. So if that's filming and there's a person on top and Halle Berry's in the car, and I keep using her because that was the right. the actor that that was part of that. Um, so do you have another vehicle that goes along to actually film? How does that happen? Well, um, sometimes we'll be filming inside of the car. Uh, the camera will, the cameraman will be inside of the car. It really depends what you're looking at. So let's mm-hmm. say it was seen Halle driving. Sometimes we'll put the camera on the co-pilot seat. So okay. the camera, so the, you know, it will look like in the car there, there is only Halle Berry, but the fact is that there will be like maybe another six persons. <laughs> so the park will be actually pretty packed. It's very packed. Yeah, with a camera in the, in the co-pilot seat, another camera in the back seats. And every camera has also not only the camera operator, but someone who's working the, the focus of the camera. So that will be one situation. And let's say as we're doing that, we could see... Halle Berry driving, and we can see the cars that are driving in the freeway with her. So that would be great to get a shot of, let's say, of the cars that are driving next to her. Now, if you wanted to do a shot from the point of view of the cars that are driving next to her, you would put the camera outside of the car, of her car. Sometimes in a different vehicle, sometimes you will build a platform that is attached to her car. Mm -hmm. So the cameraman is sitting down there (laughs) as the car is driving. There are different ways of doing it. It it was very complicated and yeah. challenging because um, you have you have to keep in mind not only you have to put the people there, you're just going to be driving maybe 50 miles an hour. So you want to be safe, make sure everyone mm-hmm. is safe, and you know there is not errors because an error could mean you know someone gets hurt. Um, so it's challenging in, in that sense. You have to think about everything that you're going to do because once you start doing it, um, you know you have to commit to that for this, you know, and, and, and do it safely. So it's, it requires a lot of preparation. Yeah. How often are films made that way, like they were in the 60s or 70s versus um, in front of a green screen? I think today, um, most of the films that get done in the green screen, I'm sure that some big productions, um, they mainly, you know, I I don't want to give percentage or judge Uh, because I wouldn't know, but most films get done uh, with a blue screen, these kind of actions. So kind of the standard is in front of the screen now. Yes, for many reasons, from um, safety, uh, because obviously doing it the other way, you have to be really good at it. In fact, Mm -hmm. we had the best team doing it. We could have shot the film in Eastern Europe and it would have been much cheaper, but the producer decided, uh, Lorenzo Bonaventura, which is also a fantastic producer, decided to shoot it in the United States with a crew that he knew, that he knew, like, okay, we're not going to have any accent because these are the best people. I know everyone. So... That requires um, more work. It's more expensive. You need to block freeways. Um, so at the end of the day, when you look at all those, when you look at the numbers, how much it's going to cost and the hours that you're going to have to put there, and someone say, well, what are we just doing in a green screen? It's going to look exactly the same. Uh, most people go for the green screen. It's very convenient. I mean, we could have a martini while we're shooting the scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> As opposed to being in the road, uh, getting sick because, you know, you're doing crazy stuff. Some people do it, but most um, films, they're not shot like that anymore. Before, you couldn't shoot green screen, so you had to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I think when you watch the film, 
that is shot in green screen versus the one that is not shot in green screen, uh, I think you can tell in the performance. Not so much in the technology because that's fantastic, but sometimes you can tell in the performance. Sometimes not, but but I think at the end it, it transpires in the film. Yeah, for sure. Um, so tell me a little, you grew up in Spain and then moved to the United States for film school. Is mm-hmm. that correct? That's right. So how does growing up in Spain translate and that culture um, from from the Spanish culture there translate into the work that you do now? Um, well, I think that um, because of my background, I mean, yes, I, I'm from Spain. Uh, I grew up in Madrid. At some point, I had the opportunity of coming to the United States. I went to film school in Los Angeles. I went to CalArts, California mm-hmm. Institute of the Arts. It's a fantastic school. And then after the school, I started traveling a little bit. Uh, uh, I was I spent some time in the U.S., in the West Coast. I went back to Spain. Then I went to Italy. And then I started working on films. So what I ended up doing is uh, um, very early in my, in my career, I started making a film in Argentina, in Italy, in the U.K., so basically, you become um, an sponge, and every place where you have been, you have been, you have taken something from that place. You have given something, you have also taken something, and you become, I guess, or at least in my case, someone who like to go to new places to discover what is there, uh, appreciate what is different from when you're coming from, understand uh, why it's like that, uh, get fascinated by it, and try to bring that somehow to your work. Um, it's not. Obviously, there is not a formula or anything like that, but you try to be, I try to be an sponge and everything that I like, I keep it. Yeah. And then at some point I, I give it back. Yeah. Give it back. That's <laughs> that's really interesting and not a metaphor I had thought about before because we all try to be sponges, I think, uh-huh. and, and and absorb that information. But being able to give it back, what a great, what a great way to do that. And the stories through your films are able to do that. Um. So you're the disunited states of America. I keep getting tongue-tied while I'm going to say it. And kidnap, and then you have some other films or and television. How can people watch them? Um, well, I guess it's not. I guess it's pretty easy online. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you look for a Halliburton kidnap, you will find that somewhere. I don't know mm-hmm. where. You know, uh, I'm sure one of the media online providers they mm-hmm. have it uh this united is a little bit more complicated because unfortunately didn't get released in the u.s uh, mainly uh, because it was an italian production and it just didn't tr- it wasn't in the not in the interest because it wasn't a question of the interest it was more it's not the main business of sky uh, italy to export this kind of product and also it's very unusual as a documentary because it's not your it's not a documentary where there are interviews, mm-hmm. and it's not reality TV. So I think a mainstream TV trying to sell that, uh, it was, they just didn't know how to how to do it. They just don't do those things. So yeah. because of that, the film has been shown in the U.S. in festival, but up to, still today it doesn't have a, a proper release. But it's kind of like a pity, and uh, personally I hope that uh, with the coming of the new elections, maybe that might change, because obviously I think that it's a fascinating film, and... Uh, um, it's timeless, even though it captures a moment in United States history, it still is valid today. And uh, I think any any viewer will appreciate that. So um, other than that, I think 
you can find, I think also I did another film in the UK called Pusher, um, executive produced by Nicholas Winder Ref. It was actually that Nicholas Winder Ref is the director of Drive. Okay. Um, he, my film is actually, he he was the executive producer in my film. It was the English remake of his first film that he shot in uh, Denmark. Uh, wow. Fantastic film that very few people saw at the time because, uh, you know, it was just too uh, ahead of his time. Right. And then became a cult classic. Yeah, for sure. Well, Luis, thank you so much for being here with us today. Anything else that you would like our listeners to know about Bentonville Film Festival or about your work or um, anything that you would like to add? Well, I want to say, first of all, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course. Uh, it has been a complete pleasure to be here today. And I will say to the listeners, uh, go and check out the festival. It's coming up very soon. And there will be fantastic films for everyone. So I will say that's that's the place to go and watch films. It's not easy, even though today we have a lot of options and opportunities to watch every single film online. Sometimes what is hard is to discover those films. They are there, but we don't know that they are there. This is what festivals do. There is um, people working at the festival that have been watching thousands and thousands of films and selecting those that they think they have something to say because they're unique in one way or another and that you should watch. You should watch as much as you can or as much as you want, but those are films that they are definitely, um, that you should check out. So just going to a film festival like this one is a great opportunity to discovering great films. You won't see anything that is not great. It's like everything will be fantastic. So go on and watch those films. I can attest to that. Everything that I've seen at the Bentonville Film Festival is fantastic. So thank you. All right, folks. So that is concluding our latest episode of A New American Town. You can catch the BFF Monday night movie at Skylight in conjunction with Visit Bentonville on the third Monday of each month. And the filmmaker of the film will be in attendance. You also, beginning April 1st, can get your tickets to the Bentonville Film Festival, which will be happening in downtown Bentonville beginning May 7th. All right. It's a beautiful day. Get out and enjoy the day and we'll see you next time.